0: Shabbat shalom, everyone. You may be seated. There are many values that are found in our tradition, in Jewish tradition, some seem to rank a little higher than others. So let's name a few that seem to rank high. One is freedom of expression. Two is celebrating all life. Three is our responsibility to follow our hearts and to share what's on our mind. You can open up any page of Talmud, and you will see those values jump off the page regardless of what it is that they're discussing. So if they're talking about, for example, who can eat matzah on Passover? If someone is sick, for example, and the matzah might cause them an ailment or further deteriorate whatever they're suffering from, are they supposed to eat matzah? Of course not. What about on Yom Kippur when someone should fast, but we know they have to take medicine or they, we know they might be weak. Maybe they're expecting a child or maybe they just had surgery. Maybe they're about to have surgery. Should they fast or should they follow their health? We know that, of course, they're supposed to eat. There was a famous rabbi who, whenever people would come up to him, on Yom Kippur, and they would say, Rabbi, uh, my stomach is really sore, or I, or I feel lightheaded, or I, I have a headache, or I'm parched, whatever it was. He always would say, Go get something to eat. There's food set up in the back room. Every time, no matter what the condition, you could come and say, I have a hangnail, it's really bothering me on Yom Kippur. He would say, Go, there's food, go eat. And finally, this one overzealous man came and said, You know, Rabbi, I don't understand as an observant Jew and a rabbi why it is that you can be so relaxed and feel that it's so inconsequential to follow the laws about eating on Yom Kippur. Why is it that you're so lenient on this law? And the rabbi responded, he says, stop looking at me as lenient on following the laws of fasting on Yom Kippur and look at me as stringent on the law of saving a life and looking after the welfare of every human being. In our tradition, nothing matters more than life. And that's why I want to talk to you this Shabbat about two instances that are quite disparate, but all come down to our responsibility to use our voice and to save a life. And for those of you who might have passionate views and disagree, I welcome that. Just like I said earlier, our Talmud pages are filled with different voices and different opinions. Share them with respect and appreciation and I welcome hearing them at Kiddush or at any time that works for you. When I heard the news on Thursday of what had happened in Charleston, South Carolina, my heart sunk into my throat. And my first response was, there but for the grace of God, go we. I say that because what happened in a black church in South Carolina could have easily happened in a Jewish synagogue in anywhere in the United States of America. You all saw when you pulled into this building today that we have a police officer here. We have every Shabbat. We always do. And we also have an undercover guard who is licensed to carry a firearm at all times. And we don't do that because we just want to show what resources the synagogue has. In fact, it spends a lot of our resources to do that. We do that because the world we live in today is a very different world. It's not only a world of terrorists, but it's a world where people have access to guns much easier than they have access to many other things. If a 17-year-old wants to go buy cigarettes, he or she can't in many states throughout this country. If two loving gay partners over the age of 25 decide to marry each other, there are more than 20 states that won't allow it in this country. But almost every state, including Kmarts and Targets and all types of Walmarts and stores, will allow people of almost all ages, including past 17, to walk in and to buy a firearm, many without background checks. And this young man who owned this gun and bought it might have been of the proper age, but clearly was filled with hate and fit under the category of being most likely, most likely, psychologically impaired, mentally impaired. We have found these cases over and over, whether it's shooting at a movie theater in Colorado, or whether it's opening fire in a Sikh church in Wisconsin, or here, or even on the college campus at UVA, or Virginia Tech, wherever it is that people are bringing in guns, that so many who need mental help aren't being afforded the opportunity or being mandated or required, but they're getting access to guns and taking away life. And now, not only will synagogues that have faced anti-Semitism since we've been around as a people in civilization, now going to be forced to have guards 24-7 like we do here. Whenever this building is open, we have security at all times. But now we're talking about churches, black churches, or perhaps Latino churches, or perhaps all-white churches, and other places of worship that are supposed to be sanctuaries are now going to be places of fear, and places of worry. And it should. It should cause us upset, and it should cause us frustration that indeed, these places where we come to talk to God, to commune with family, to be one spiritually, have now been interrupted in the most violent way possible. And people are seeking and searching for ways to take away our connectivity with our religion through violence. There's a second thing happening. It has very little to do with guns. It has much more to do with existential threats, both to the state of Israel and to the United States of America. And It has to do with an impending vote that's going to happen in Congress very soon about a deal that's going to be made with the Iranian regime. The Iranian regime is negotiating with America to rid itself of nuclear weapons or really what it's negotiating with is to stop the sanctions that are upon it by the United States and allied partners so that they can continue with their economy that's on the brink of being toppled. There is all type of debate and conversation as to what is best for Israel, what's best for America. And let me tell you that this can't only be a problem faced for Israel. If it is, Israel will deal with that problem. It's a sovereign country with a sovereign military. But this is a threat to all Western cultures and societies. It's a threat to Germany. It's a threat to France. It's a threat to the United States of America. It's a threat to Sweden. It's a threat to, uh, to Belgium, to Spain, you name it. It's also a threat to all Arab countries, whether they're friend or foe. Because as soon as Iran develops nuclear capability, all of the other countries and region will develop nuclear capability as well. And it will create a nuclear arms race in the worst neighborhood in the world, which is not good for anyone, especially Israel. But all of us are in the same worry zone at that. Saudi Arabia has gone so far to say that if Iran is allowed a nuclear weapon, we will not create a nuclear weapon, we will buy one. Our resources are unlimited and we will turn to Pakistan and we will buy a weapon. And it will be a matter of months, not years, until they have one. So what are our options? Our options are a simple one. And just to bring you all up to speed, it's through negotiations and crippling sanctions that brought the Iranians to the table today. Where they literally came begging for help and intervention. They said, we need to have these sanctions lifted. Let's talk. America is trying to dismantle their nuclear enrichment program. And what we're asking for is obviously a diplomatic solution. There's not one country in the world that's reasonable in saying that doesn't want a diplomatic solution. Israel wants a diplomatic solution. Saudi Arabia wants a diplomatic solution. America wants a diplomatic solution. But the key to that diplomatic solution is what matters the most. And what we're asking for is to ensure that legislation that the leaders at APAC and others have ensured, which is called the Corker Menendez Bill, which allows Congress to have a say in what the final acceptance of any agreement looks like, has five critical ingredients. One is that inspections of verification can happen anytime and anywhere, that it's not up to the Iranians as to when we will do inspections, it is up to the inspectors and they can be surprise visits. Could you imagine telling anyone playing sports, I just want you to know in three weeks, and two days, we're gonna do a steroids test. What good would that do to ensure that steroids weren't being used? So anywhere, anytime inspections is critical. Second, Iran has to come clear about their possible military dimensions. Why is it, and what have they done so far in creating ICBMs, which stand for Intercontinental Ballistic Missiles? What are their reach and potential, and what triggers have been created already that could detonate either a nuclear weapon or a dirty bomb? Because if you see the fallen countries that were countries a decade ago, Libya, Iraq, Yemen, Egypt, which almost fell and could again, and if you were to think any one of them and their leadership had access to a nuclear weapon, And now knowing what the likes of ISIS and other rebel regimes who have taken over could be, woe to the world if any of those crazy fighters and crazy leaders have their itchy fingers sitting on a nuclear trigger. The third piece is the sanctions that already brought them to the table should be lifted slowly and frankly for good behavior. If the Iranians do what they're supposed to do, then we should slowly release some of the funds that have been held back. But if we release all the money that's been held back, and we're talking about trillions, not billions, but trillions of dollars that would go instantly back into the Iranian banks, then what we're saying then is that Iranians have the ability to take the money and to run. And what we want to ensure in this deal is that it leaks back slowly based on good behavior by the Iranians and based on the dismantling of their program, inspections, and coming clean. The last two ingredients go together, and that is We can't have a program or any agreement that allows the Iranians with breakout capability 10 to 15 years later, meaning it might be nice to say, okay, you can't enrich uranium for 10 years, but you have a one-year breakout capability 10 years from now. I used to think 10 years was a long time until I had kids. And now I see 10 years goes by in the blink of a minute. It is nothing 10 years. And in the history of a country or the United States of America and the regimes that happen, it is nothing. It is very little time, and what we need is to ensure that Iran is not given any form of breakout time in any reason. The least amount of negotiable time should be something to the amount of 70 to 100 years, because then there is great possibility and significant regime change, and that's enough time for process and change to happen, for us to renegotiate in 50, 70, or 100 years. And last, and perhaps most important of all, is that every single centrifuge that has been spun and made around, every single one of them, should be absolutely dismantled. There shouldn't be one left or else we can't ever be sure of verifications or their intentionality or what it's going to be used for with the other points. So what do these five points about Iran and guns have in common? In the Torah portion we read today of Parshat Korach, we learn about a Jewish value that's critical, but misplayed. And the Jewish value that's critical is the value of life and the value of using our voice, which we find on every single page of the Talmud, as I told you when we started. That is mission critical to who we are as a people and what it is we stand for. We value life, we protect life at all costs. We also realize that as Jews, we have a responsibility that is an ethic to who we are, and that is we cannot be passive, we must be active. And for that, the likes of Korach and Pinchas need to be celebrated. The likes of the leaders who stand up and use their voice passionately for what it is they believe in need to be supported. Our senator from this state said it best, Cory Booker, when he said, democracy and being part of a religion and sharing what you believe in is not a sideline sport. It's something we all have to engage in. And we can't expect a change to happen by yelling at a television set. We actually have a role. And I give a lot of credit to Korach, not for the way he went about what he went about, but for the passion he felt to look to make change. That matters. And if you, just like me, are totally fed up with the idea that any day at any time a gunman can walk into your kid's school, your place of worship, your grocery store, or when you go out to the movie with your partner, your friend, your kids, because they have access to that gun, and you have not used your voice to say, we require background checks, we require a 14-day waiting period. We require all types of mental evaluations before guns are giving out, and you don't speak to your senators and your congresspeople, and you don't use your voices, then you are complicit in the problem. And shame on us, shame on me, and shame on you. I'm not trying to take guns away from people who want to use guns. You want to go hunting? Go hunting. You want to protect yourself? Protect yourself. But plan your hunting trip. Take a month to plan it. So if you need a gun, we're going to spend a month doing a background check on you and your history and your records of arrest before we're handing that gun that could do such harm over to you. And we have a voice in it. And if you you believe that everyone should have a gun and we don't need a background check, then use your voice too. I passionately disagree with you. But that's what makes this world go round. That's what makes America great. That's what makes Judaism great. Is that we are a people of different opinions that live together in harmony. But you have to use your voice. And if you want Iran to not have one ounce of enriched uranium, not one ounce, and you want them to come clean on where it is that they stand with what it is that they have, and you want to ensure that there are inspections wherever and whenever and that they can't enrich for another 100 years, you can't yell at Tom Friedman in the New York Times and think your point will be heard. You have a responsibility to talk to the legislators that ensure the deal and to make it happen. And don't say, it's just my voice, it doesn't work. Because I'm going to tell you all a little story from history. And here's the history. It's three months old. Three months ago, we asked those who were passionate about Iran to ensure that the Corker-Menendez bill would pass, and that is a bill that very simply says Congress had a say in sanctions that brought Iran to the table, and Congress should have a say. They should be able to vote, up or down, on any deal that's going to be passed with Iran. It shouldn't live only in the executive branch. That's what they said, and we were hopeful that it would pass 51 to 49, knowing then the President of the United States could veto it, which we knew he would. Just so you all know, because you used your voice, because you used your feet, because people joined me and others in going to AIPAC and making a trip to Washington and talking to our legislators, that piece of legislation passed 98 to 1. 98 to 1. Now, if you're good Jews, you're all going to say, well, was the one? The one was Senator Tom Cotton, and it wasn't because he wanted to take away the sanctions or wasn't on our side. He thought the deal was too lenient. So in essence, it was unanimity. When was the last time you saw unanimity in Washington, D.C., ladies and gentlemen? And there was unanimity because you used your voice. Korach used his voice, but he used it in the wrong way. He was, as Annalise and Mark explained, he was a vigilante. He tried to take the law into his own hands. And we have no place where that is acceptable in our tradition. And we don't accept that in our country. We don't accept it it with those who want to change the racial composite of this country. We don't want to change it with those who want to overhaul the way the police work. We don't accept vigilantism. But we do accept praying with our feet, as Abraham Joshua Heschel said, and telling people where and how we can make a change. And if you're fed up like I'm fed up, with the way guns have taken away so many of our liberties, like the liberty to pray and study in a church, or to pray and study in a synagogue, or to send your kids to school, or to watch a movie, because that's our liberty also, then don't sit back. Use your voice, use your feet, say something and do something, and be part of the difference that makes a change, because you can. And if you are worried about Israel, America, Western civilization, Western European countries, do what Karach did, but do it in the right way and use your voice and stand up and go to Washington with me, call up your legislators, send an email, drop a note, and tell them a good deal matters. And don't say no deal is better than a bad deal. That might be true. But a good deal is our best option. It's our best option today. And these ingredients give us a good deal. All of us, all of us know what it is to have a responsibility. And this time of year, for all of us, whether you're the rabbi, or whether you're a parent, or whatever it is you do, it's summertime. It's a time when the engines turn to idle, the wheels are down for landing, and we are ready to take it easy. The last thing we want to do is to feel this other sense of responsibility at this time to make a difference. It feels like a heavy price to pay. But I ask you all can we afford the price of apathy? Can we afford the price of someone walking into this synagogue, God forbid, or our church down the street, God forbid, or our kids' school around the corner, God forbid? or to knowing that we made a deal that allows Iran to have a nuclear weapon in five years, God forbid? Are we going to sleep well then knowing that we were too busy with our vacations and our lives to use our voice? Put your head on a soft pillow. Use your voice in the right way and make a difference. Because lives matter, and using our voice matters. And ultimately, those are the pillar, the cornerstone of what it is to be part of the Jewish faith. And if we ignore them, then we've turned our back on our tradition. Shabbat shalom, everyone.